We had a discussion today about tenant rights, property manager rights, and insurance after we heard from a woman who is now homeless after the triplex she lives in burned down and one person died, two went to hospital. We also continue to discuss power grid challenges after what happened in Alberta over the weekend. Is our country prepared for the onslaught of electric vehicles in the coming decades? And on that subject, we were joined by the federal energy minister who just happens to be in Winnipeg today. The legend of Carol King, Royal MTC, is putting on beautiful the Carol King musical. We speak to musicologist and music geek, self-professed music geek, Alan Cross. And speaking of music, 10,000 people applied to be the guitarist for the Smashing Pumpkins. For you, which band, which instrument? I'm Brett McGarry. Alongside Greg Mackling, we are Mackling and McGarry, and this is the Wednesday, January 17th podcast for The Start. It is Mackling and McGarry. And it feels weird, I suppose, to suggest that minus 20 doesn't feel too bad. I know that we didn't have the deep freeze that uh, they had out west, but it was still it was still bloody cold, and uh, <laughs> yeah. we're, and that thankfully, just looking at the the weather warnings are gone in Saskatchewan. They're gone in Manitoba. They're largely gone in Alberta. Still present in northern Alberta and parts of uh, BC. But moderating, we're getting out of it. As you say, minus twenty felt not too bad this morning. Lack of wind. We've had that discussion how many times? The role the wind plays yesterday was windy and sort of nasty as it kicked around a little bit of snow. And uh, we've got a little bit of snow this morning in the forecast potentially. But looks like like by the weekend and into next week, we could be into some much more moderate temperatures. I don't know what your apps are saying, Brett, but I'm I'm seeing like minus single digits by by Monday or Tuesday next week. Yeah, like the normals for this time of year – the normal low is minus 23. The normal high is minus 13. And by so, so Friday, we're looking for a high of minus 14. Saturday, minus 17. Sunday, minus 12. And then we, you know, I'm seeing minus 13, minus 11. And indeed, looking at the, uh, the, the two-week forecast. So that's the, the Environment Canada gives a seven-day forecast. But other apps like the Weather Network will look out a little bit further. And they're suggesting, uh, yeah, like minus 8. Minus nine, minus five. I got a minus three on this uh, forecast for next Wednesday. That'll change, of course. Of course. No minus one, though. And we've had that conversation over the years. Rick Mercer had that great skit years ago talking about minus one, how, you know, sometimes you get the sense that they throw a minus one and Environment Canada will throw that out there just to uh, to raise our collective I think psyche and prevent us all from just moving away from wherever we live all at once. So no minus one in the forecast. So I'm, I'm optimistic that this is authentic versus just trying to pacify us for the next few days so that we don't uh, all collectively just hate where we live. Well, and in speaking of like specifically with the weather network, their two week forecast, often the, the last day, of that two-week forecast. It's you can, something goofy, right? Yeah, there's, there's often a glitch in there where it'll be like minus 30, minus 30, minus 30, zero. <laughs> like on right. that last day. So clearly like, there's some, you can you, you just know to ignore that. But they're, this this time they're saying minus 10 
on the the two weeks. But that's really not that bad. I'm sure we'll get another blast of cold in uh, February. Like we're obviously not even close to being out of the woods yet, but uh, it hasn't been too bad overall. We did have a lot of snow. How has the snow clearing been? Because I know they've they've gone into residential neighborhoods. How is it your neck of the woods? Yeah, all I can comment is on what they did in my part of the city. And I think I mentioned last week how impressed I was with how quickly the, the secondary routes in my part of the city were cleared and just how well they were cleared. I know one of our listeners was suggesting it was our job to to tell the snow clearing crews to to plow curb to curb well i'm seeing a lot of curb to curb and on my bay wow did they ever do a heck of a job on monday night i I always wondered why they didn't have a smaller front end loader because they'll they'll clean up they'll take one pass over that windrow that's created at the end of your driveway in neighborhoods where there are front drives and they always use these great big giant front end loaders, right? Like three stories tall and great big, you know, 10 foot tires. I'm exaggerating to make a, a point. Okay. But I noticed on Monday in the crew, they had a smaller front front end loader, like a skid steer sort of thing. And holy smokes, what a difference that made yeah. in terms of what they left behind. Barely anything in one pass. It was absolutely perfection in my mind so curious as to what your experience has been elsewhere in the city that's life in nk my part of nk 204-780-6868 have you been surprised is it the same as usual or is it worse than than before just curious to get your take on the residential snow clearing uh so far this winter yeah we had a lot of people last week telling us uh, kudos to the city of winnipeg they did a Great job cleaning up. And for the most part, they, they even tackled the sidewalks relatively quickly in, in my neighborhood. I, I know that in years past, I've sort of lamented how long it takes them to get out and clean. And we're talking like sidewalks on, on major routes like Osborne. Um, although I will point out, if you are happen to be, if you need to walk across the Osborne Bridge today, particularly on the west side, watch out. <laughs> Once you get past the middle point... Uh, hang, you might need to hold on to the railing because I almost bought it several times yesterday. It is slippery, super slippery, that sidewalk crossing the bridge. But they, they did a, a relatively good job. I think there were only a couple of points. I went for a walk last night up Wellington Crescent and up Grosvenor, and there were maybe one or two spots where I thought they missed this or this is, there's nowhere to pass here. Okay. So, But otherwise, yeah, good job. I was really impressed with the job that was done. A little slippery last night with that snow that we got just a tiny bit in the wind and it was polishing up some of those uh, routes and, and so uh, some sand and it might be needed in places. But uh, overall, my impressions is uh, so far so good this winter. So thanks to everyone who does that. We have several of our regular listeners who out who are out operating equipment. So we uh, tip our hat to you and we, we appreciate your efforts very much. It is Mackling and McGarry. If you've been away for a couple of days, you're wondering where's the third M, McNabb. She has become a member of the leadership team here at the radio station. She is now the executive producer for 680 CJOB. But a bit later on in the show, we're going to tell you when you'll have an opportunity to hear her voice once more as she'll be joining us uh, from time to time. Uh, Before we get into what we want to discuss here, we were asking you how... Did the city do in your neck of the woods as it pertains to cleaning up the snow? 
Linda says my little crescent in St. Vitale was cleaned up two days ago. Usually it takes a couple of weeks if it even gets cleaned at all. So, wow, great job, guys, says Linda. Karen, in uh, your old neck of the woods, Brett, 4 a.m. last night in the Bay in West Transcona, huge bucket truck and at least four scrapers. Good job, guys. They cleaned up all the windrows. Pete and Carol and NK echoing those same sentiments. Snow clearing on our bay was done very well. Even spacing of snow piles, windrows were flattened. Just wish it wasn't done at 2 a.m. <laughs> and Rick, uh, I think, uh, do I, I do I sense a touch of sarcasm in Rick's text here, Brett? Rick says, kudos to the snow clearing crew who look after my streets. Not only did they clear the fallen snow, they proactively removed the next anticipated <laughs> snowfall. How else to explain that an hour after the street was completely cleared, another six pieces of machinery came by and went through the process again, going through the motions and clearing a snow-free street who schedules these things. It's an interesting observation. I'm sure. Feel free to continue to weigh in. How did the city do at clearing the snow in your neighborhood? And uh, you can text us anytime at 204-780-6868. But right now we want to expand on what Sarah has been telling you in Global News, and that has to do with... One person who has died and two more have been taken to hospital after an early morning house fire yesterday. The flames broke out at a multifamily building on College Avenue around 1 a.m. So others at the property were able to get out safely, including a woman living in the downstairs suite. She's now starting over and looking for answers. Global's Catherine Dornian reports. Tamara Bard is staying with a friend after a fire destroyed her home on College Avenue early Tuesday morning. One person in one of the suites above hers was found dead at the scene. But Tamara has questions about why the fire happened and the response to it. She lived in the basement suite of the property and says around 7 p.m. Monday night she had called the police after hearing arguing in the suite upstairs. Police confirmed they attended, but later that evening she says she heard more disturbances and called again. But just minutes after calling, she says her neighbor came to tell her the house was on fire. Grabbed my jacket, my purse, and my dog and left. And I went to my neighbor's house and put my dog over there. And then, uh, yeah, watched them put out my house. Tamara sheltered at her neighbor's house while firefighters fought the blaze from about 1 until 2 in the morning. She says one of her four cats died in the fire and the others are now missing. Although the city says it sent emergency social services, Tamara says they never spoke to her. In a statement, the city acknowledged WFPS does not always connect with evacuees if they are sheltering elsewhere. She says she had also previously registered complaints about the tenants upstairs about noise and garbage. She claims the company that owns the building, Ember Realty, had told her a month ago those tenants would be evicted. Global News has reached out to Ember for comment, but did not hear back by broadcast. Tamara has no insurance and is now homeless, with just a few clothes to her name. I'm trying really hard not to think about my cats and stuff and everything I lost. You know, um, there's boxes of stuff in there from when my kids were little, and baby clothes and all that kind of stuff, and I'm pretty sentimental, so... You know, all the pictures of my grandkids. Winnipeg firefighters say the cause of the blaze is still under investigation. As for Tamara, she'll be relying on family and friends to get her through whatever comes next. Catherine Dornian, Global News. Losing everything you own, uh, I can't imagine that being easy in any way, shape or form, the compounded by the, the loss of a beloved pet. But more conversation, Brett, uh, I guess uh, with regard to this fire about WPS, 
attending attending this residence earlier in the evening. I don't know what else will come out of that. I won't speculate at all. But the conversation I think we're going to have throughout the day and uh, later on this morning in this program is going to be about insurance and the lack thereof. There seem to be, every time we turn around, there's a residential house fire or apartment fire and people don't have renter's insurance. Uh, be interesting to know what the actual percentage of people who rent do have insurance. So at 805, we're going to speak with the Professional Property Managers Association. And one of the things that uh, the resident, Tamara Bard, was saying is that there there were no social services or no accommodations made for warmth. But the city did respond to Global News saying that there was a bus on scene, that social services were on scene, and it's possible that they just didn't connect. Maybe she uh, had left before they, they arrived. Um, but uh, we also, Global News, reached out to the property owners, Ember Realty, uh, for comment. And we're just waiting to hear back on that because uh, Tamara was suggesting that the, she had been told that those residents were due to be evicted. So we have some questions about, as Greg mentioned, insurance. We have questions about tenants' rights as well as the, the rights of the property owner, uh, because you know this is a complicated story, and you can read more on it at cjob.com. It is Mackling and McGarry, and this morning's question for you has to do with how some 10,000-plus people have applied... For a coveted position, Greg, what's going on here? So the Smashing Pumpkins need a new guitarist. So they said, hey, you want to join the band? <laughs> sort of like what happened to me about 15 years ago. Want to join the CJOB band? And at least 10,000 people have have put up their hand to say, yeah, I'm, I, I consider me. Yeah? Yeah. I know the crew at Power 97 put together a little video, I think, over the weekend on that, where they all submitted their applications, so to speak. Oh, really? Their audition tape? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And you can see that on their social media. So 204-780-6868, simple question today. For you, which band or musical act and which instrument? Or would if you know, maybe... You want to be the vocalist, like Adam Lambert, who took over the vocal roles in Queen. So 204-780-6868. Sarah McCarthy, why don't we start with you? <laughs> I have a feeling I know where this is going to go, but yeah. maybe you'll be surprised. <laughs> Come on. You, I think you will be surprised, because I thought, again, I'm not going to pick Taylor Swift, because that's exactly <laughs> what everyone's expecting. And while I would love to probably be like a backup vocalist um, for her, I did see this band in November. And no, I'm not going with Kiss because I could never ask to be part of that band. That would just be Eddie Van Halen uh, (laughs) asked to be part of Kiss once upon a time. Yes, but this was uh, the second band that I saw, the Jonas Brothers. I was not expecting them to have such a huge band. They had like a 30-member band backing them up with trumpets, saxophones and it was really really good so here's a little live clip from their new year's eve performance because it was insane so you hear the saxophone the trumpets i would love to play the trumpet because i actually played the trumpet in middle school so maybe if i had stuck with that 
I could have uh, been could be on stage. With the Jonas Brothers. <laughs> well, so yeah, um, yeah, they were just electric, and they really stole the show from the three brothers. To be honest, so right on. Yeah, that's cool. What and what was that on? What was this on? Yeah. This was their New Year's Eve performance. The the two Andy show. Oh, okay. The Andy Cohen and Anderson Cooper. Cool. And yeah, they cool. were really great. Horn section. Can't go wrong with the horn mm-hmm. section. Ross Levitan, what about you? Well, as an accomplished uh, middle school saxophone player myself, I feel like Sarah and I might have to start a band. <laughs> oh, wow. Let's do it. I think we might have something there. Accomplished, um, you say? Yeah. I mean, I quotation marks? Well, I showed up for every band practice. <laughs> One to qualify just w- where you fit on the sliding scale, the scale when we're yeah, talking yeah. about accomplishments. I think naturally I'd fit into Earth, Wind, and Fire. I like the, oh. the vibes of that real good, but... Uh, no, in all seriousness, I, I mean, are we talking about us enjoying it or being successful? Because I'd love to be a, a lead singer, the vocalist, but I don't think people would enjoy it. So whatever <laughs> would band you I would enjoy join. It? Yeah, of course I would. But whatever band I would join, I don't know how long we'd be touring for. Well, who cares? <laughs> Got to sell tickets. <laughs> who cares? If you had the sh- chance to do it. Yeah, no, I, I would probably uh, I'd probably go with like the Zach Brown band, something relaxing. You know, you get a lot of outdoor venues. I'd appreciate that. It would be all more about the atmosphere than uh, than the passion of the project. Wow, you really put some thought into yeah, this. That's actually great perspective. Yeah, I, I, yeah, because I, I would imagine performing at a place like Winnipeg Folk Festival out in Birds Hill, in that kind of like natural amphitheater they've got would be really cool. Like if I could trade lives with one person, it'd probably be Jimmy Buffett. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And I you feel know like he passed the, away, though, right? Well, I mean, Just, what a life. Yeah. Yeah. So Zach Brown's probably like I think probably the closest you're going to get. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's All a right. good call. Uh-huh. Yeah. Jeff Fortier, who was an accomplished drummer. Well, I wouldn't say accomplished. <laughs> hey, let's get this band going. Yeah, but- seriously. <laughs> you two are singing. <laughs> that's right. Uh, no, you know what? I've been hearing rumors. I don't know if it's true, but. I've been hearing that's Getty Lee and Alex Lifeson want to get back on the stage. Oh, boy. I, like, I have no idea if that's true or not. It's just rumors. It's internet stuff. So for all I know, I don't know. But who, you know, they need a drummer. They need a drummer. I cannot play like Neil Pert. And I definitely don't have those skills. But, uh, you know, I could try. I could try. Can anyone play? No. Like that? In my opinion, no. Yeah, those guys are remarkable musicians. Oh, some of the best musicians ever. Nero Peart on the drums. I, I saw. Was it? Did you see that video of that six-year-old kid playing Rush the other day? Cast- Just nailing every single rhythm and drum roll. Can't say I have. Oh my gosh! I'll send it to you. Okay, that's a good one. Mackling, what about you? Well, I don't think there are too many bands in the market for an air drummer, so I'm out. <laughs> on that front, I would, you know, I've often said that when I was a kid, I wanted to be Paul Stanley and then later John Bon Jovi would trade places with them, but I can't sing a lick. So maybe I could do this if, um, let's put it this way. If I could and they would have me, I just, I sell, it. I just sell merchandise for Tuke. <laughs> You'd be a merch seller. Merch seller. That's about my ability. Suits my sort of my sales background. I think I could sell a whole lot of merch for them. 
and uh, just be part of the band that way. Because nobody wants me on the stage. <laughs> my, my musicality is severely lacking. As much as I wish it were different, it simply isn't. Well, that's it. You've expanded the conversation. Maybe you would just prefer to be in the crew, uh, so to speak. Um, for me, I want to... It's actually not a, a rock band, although they... Uh, well, I'll just play. I think I would like to... Uh, be a, if I could, if I had the talent, I'd be I'd join the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra, so I could play stuff like the Superman theme. Why not? I don't I don't know what instrument I would play. I played clarinet in uh, junior high. I would say I was oh semi accomplished. <laughs> I wasn't bad at the clarinet, but I don't know that I'd want to play the clarinet. I think I would like to play a cello. Or uh, like a big bass. Stand-up bass. Yeah. Oh, stand-up bass. That would be cool. Yeah. That would be really cool. It would be difficult to lug around, I'm sure. <laughs> but I think it would be terrific. It was so electrifying being actually being on stage as a co-host with Jeff Braun when the Couch Potatoes did our things with them, the Star Wars versus Star Trek shows, and then the Superhero Showdown. And uh, to be able to produce that kind of music, to be on the producing end of it, for the people to enjoy it. Yeah, I think that would be my pick. I would say that of the five of us, you're the person that's been the closest to your to your dream. I guess so. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You're doing it literally. With the symphony. <laughs> and I guess I had technically, if we really want to expand the parameters, I was a member of the symphony that night, at least as, as co-host. So... Because you would the 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 conductor is a member of the symphony, right? Certainly is. I think we can remove the quotation marks away from accomplished <laughs> symphony host from Brett McGarry's description. <laughs> so at 204-780-6868, if you could be a part, like if you could join a band, if you could join a musical act, which instrument would you play? Which role would you want to play, regardless of your talent level or not? We're just playing fantasy here. Fantasy band for a chance to win. Tickets for Mid-Canada RV and Boat Sale happening at the Convention Centre February 1st to the 4th. We'll pick a winner at 9.15. It is Mackling and McGarry. We're going to talk more about power grid issues in a moment. But before that, we're asking you this morning... Which band, which instrument for you? If you could be a part of a musical act, which instrument would you want to play? What does Edgar say? Well, I just woke up to this conversation, and all I can think of is this. Guess what? I got a fever. And the only prescription is more cowbell. So Edgar having his hand up, he wants to play a little cowbell. Good call, Edgar. So at 204-780-6868, continue to tell us, if you could join a musical act, what instrument would you play? What position would you want for a chance to win tickets for the Mid-Canada RV and boat sale? We'll pick a winner at 9.15. The discussion over power generation and electricity shortages continues on this Wednesday morning. Saturday evening, Alberta sent out its unprecedented warning of potential electricity blackouts. This is Part of a report from Global's Brianna Carstens-Smith. The province, which has run national ads warning about blackouts, was nearly faced with them. 
we did everything we could to be prepared for this. But the utilities minister said a perfect storm hit. Natural gas facilities went offline, there wasn't enough wind to power turbines, and daylight is limited, meaning so is solar. That is exactly why we're looking at every aspect of our grid from generation through transmission and distribution to say where are the weak points and how do we stabilize that. From the voice of Alberta's Minister of Affordability and Utilities, Nathan Newdorf, to our next guest, Moz Slim, EY Canada Power and Utilities Leader. Good morning, Moz. Good morning. How are you guys? Doing well. Appreciate you taking time. How much do we know about where the weak points are in Canada's electricity generation system? Yeah, when we look at the weak points across Canada, right now it just comes back to capacity. And uh, we are, as a whole in the country, we are looking at renewables, we are looking at grid, I would say, hardening across the board. And all the provinces are you know, currently looking at and evaluating how do you actually drive more capacity. And I think part of the challenge also is looking at the intertide between the provinces to make sure you can call on your neighbour to be able to pull more as you need it as well. The second part of the question is, how do we stabilize the country's energy production system? Yeah, that's a great question. From a stabilization perspective, we are looking at different ways. So nuclear is a good example where we're seeing Ontario take the lead with small modular reactors. So Ontario is really pushing hard with OPG. We also saw an announcement with Capital Power um, over the weekend as well, just coincidentally in Alberta, to really look at how SMRs can play a role in the Alberta market as well. Um, the challenge with SMRs is also it's a new technology, so rolling out nuclear does take time. But just given the focus that we have across the country in driving that, it's becoming a little bit more prevalent to drive towards smaller modular reactors and microgrids. We're seeing Alberta also looking at those as well. Uh, sorry, Saskatchewan looking at those as well, because both of them do have challenges with coal. So getting off coal is going to be an incredibly important part of the transition but also really looking at how do you maintain reliability. And that, that's what we saw this weekend. It, it was really, truly a perfect storm, like was mentioned earlier, where you really had, you know, 18,000 megawatts to sort of Alberta's capacity. But as soon as you take out wind and solar, it drops it down to 15. And then you drop out a couple of uh, natural gas plants, and really you're at that cusp of hitting that max peak. Well, you mentioned wind and solar, and, you know, I've tried to do some research on this, and, for as reliable as some research is, I haven't been able to confirm the fact that wind generation isn't practical after 30 below with regard to the fragility of the blades on these term turbines. And of course, if there's no snow, there's no solar. So plenty of criticism about and regarding the reliability of renewables in these extreme conditions flying around, Moz. Is that fair? I think there are, there's definitely some elements to that. I think what, what we really need to look at is storage as part of that story. We can't really just have renewables that are going to be intermittent. So intermittency is a big challenge with renewables. It's how do you couple that with storage capabilities? And we're, we're seeing that happen across the world. Um, we look at Hawaii just went live with you know, batteries to help offset some of those intermittency issues. We're seeing the same thing in California. Um, Texas is looking at that, and Australia has been a leader in that for a while. So th- there is an opportunity to look at hardening, but storage absolutely has to be part of the equation. Before we let you go, the, you know, of course, the Canadian government is mandating that only electric passenger vehicles will be sold in this country as of 2035. So how realistic is it that the power grid will ramp up to keep pace to the integration of more and more electric vehicles over the next two decades? 
Uh, that is absolutely a concern across most of the utilities I've spoken to in, in Canada. I think uh, when you look at that offsetting of that usage, I think there's more demand response capabilities that utilities are looking at. What I mean by that is being able to manage um, appropriately and really look at where where people are charging, how they're charging, and incentivizing folks to be able to charge you know, off-peak and manage sort of that peak at the top level. Um, the broader concern also is EVs is one element. You also have a broader mandate around heat pumps and you know, being able to curtail natural gas. Um, that becomes a challenge. And we look at transportation as a whole. We're seeing more, I would say, electrification of uh, atypical transportation or uh, vehicles itself, like farm equipment. We're looking at more electrification there. We're looking at even when it look at in large industrial um, vehicles. Those are being electrified. So as a whole, um, most utilities are looking at you know at least doubling the capacity for generation. Well, our first conversation with Maz Salim of EY Canada Power and Utilities uh, leader with that group. Uh, our first discussion. I don't think it'll be our last, Maz. Thanks for your insight. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you, guys. It's Mackling and McGarry. Is that not, not the third day, third morning in a row we've had a crash at Marion and Archibald? That was closed for a serious crash. Was that Monday night into Tuesday morning? Yeah. Early Tuesday morning? Yeah. It's... And then there was another crash yesterday morning, I think. Um, yeah, the roads are slippery. Like, even just w- when I was out for my walk yesterday, as I was I was walking home up Corridon, and for every sort of through street that I had to cross... I had to do the penguin shuffle because they're they're super polished right now as you approach stop signs and what have you. So just a heads up for that if you haven't been in your car. Like I haven't driven my car in over a week, so I'm going to have to be a little extra careful today when I head out. I got to get my hair cut today. We're asking you at 204-780-6868 about what band, what musical act would you join if you could and which instrument would you play? And Jason says, I played in a Pink Floyd cover band. I played the cash register. <laughs> so I, I got a kick out of that one as well. That's that's a good call. Somebody else is saying they'd like to play Triangle with yeah. Led Zeppelin. That'd be cool. Grant, yeah. Grant and Deborah say I can, they can take over the tambourine from Tracy and the Partridge family. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Very good. Th- these are... Uh, the opposite of a humble brag, right? You're kind of going the other way. You're being self-deprecating. I have no musical talent, but I could play, as one of our listeners just said, I would play Elastic with a rubber band. Oh, the rubber band, like rubber the rubber band, 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 band man. There you go. Yeah, and Bill says, I'd like to be part of Johnny Carson's NBC Orchestra. Oh, I have Doc no musical Severson, talent, yeah. so I would just sit in the back row and act like I'm contributing. <laughs> I think that would be such a blast, and to see all the guests that were on the show. So, yeah, we like the creativity, uh, but if, if you want to go that way, that's great. But if even if you don't have musical talent, if you could, just imagine you had the talent to be in a band or just in a musical act, what, which one would you be? Which instrument would you like to play for that? And even would you step up and be the vocalist? Yeah, I always wanted to do that. What's the, what's, what's the latest word from the Foo Fighters? Well, they're, they're touring big time right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. doing stadium shows. Uh, I think they're down south, like in uh, Australia and stuff. But 
big stadium tour this summer. Who's playing the drums? Oh, I knew you were going to ask. Sorry. Me. Okay. I'm, I, I, can't I totally remember. ambushed Josh you with that. Freeze? Josh Freeze. Thank you. Okay. I just admitted to somebody the other day, as much as I love the Foo Fighters, I can only name like four of the five members. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> I don't study the roster of the band, <laughs> hey. which is terrible. No, it's not terrible. That's awful. I couldn't name. I like the Foo Fighters. I couldn't name their, their bandmates. It is Mackling and McGarry. Before we talk hockey, weekly Wednesday Jets chat, we're asking you this morning, if you could join a band, which instrument would you play, regardless of your level of musical talent? Let's just play pretend here. What does Ray the Grain Guy in Minnedosa say? I'm not very good at musical instruments. When I was 12, my mom made me start taking accordion lessons. When I was 13, she made me quit. Oh, you're no good. You quit. Uh, John saying, obviously, playing cowbell. We're getting a lot of votes for cowbell and Blue Oyster Cult. Uh, but seriously, John says, always wanted to be a drummer, even though my coordination stinks. So drumming for Rush and trying to measure up to Neil Peart would be a dream. And Ruth said, inspiring this musical choice, if I could be a member of any band or group, for me, it would have to be Sha Na Na. They were such a big part of my Saturday mornings as a kid. I mean, who didn't want to be able to sing like Bowser? So keep those coming for a chance to win tickets for the Mid-Canada RV and boat sale happening February 1st to the 4th at RBC Convention Centre. A winner shall be selected at 9.15. Speaking of winners, 16 games. After his knee-on-knee collision with Anaheim Ducks forward Ryan Strom, Jets' leading goal scorer Kyle Connor returned to the Jets' lineup in time for last night's game versus the New York Islanders. Yeah, and the Jets managed to go 12-2-2 in Connor's absence. Connor scored an empty netter in his 18th goal of the season, and the Jets improved to 9-1 in their past 10 games. The Jets jump back into first place in the NHL's overall standings. Longtime hockey insider and key member of our Jets coverage team, John Shannon, former member of Sean Anna as well, if I'm not mistaken, John. Uh, might have been a different group. Oh, do you have any musicality, Mr. Shannon? I like to listen. <laughs> That'll have to do, my friend. So, <laughs> so what, what did we learn about this team, this Jets team, during Kyle Connor's absence? Well, exactly that. Uh, what we thought they were. Um, they are a deep team. Uh, they are a tenacious team, and they seem to have a little different personality than the team that we saw last year that started to fall off the cliff at this time of year. So let's talk about a different Connor, as in Hellebuck, because the Jets' all-star goaltender was once, once again outstanding in his 22nd win of the season. He's now given up two or fewer goals in 19 of his past 20 games. How do you compare Halibut's play this year to some of his other Vezina-caliber seasons? Well, I, I, I think that he's back at that level of the year. He did win the Vezina. Um, you know, so much of the Jets' success has to be put onto the defensive side. Um, and, and it's not just Connor Hellebuck. Um, I think what's happened is that the, the six defensemen that are playing have done a magnificent job, and, and Connor Hellebuck's, you know, I, I was thinking about this last night, knowing that I was coming on with you guys this morning. Um, Connor Hellebuck's like a scientist about this position. He, he knows what to do in certain situations. Um, he's always trying to 
um, think about the next step. Uh, he really makes the position simple. He's not overly uh, aggressive. Uh, he knows what position to be in at all times, particularly if you see the puck. And so when the defense does such a good job, and I, when I talk about the defense, I'm almost talking about everybody because team defense is a big part of what the Jets' success is. If Hellebuck sees the puck, he can stop it. Uh, and he is seeing the puck magnificently right now because of the team defensive play. Can I take that a step further, John? Because I was having this discussion with somebody at a game, I guess it was two Tuesday nights ago, against, I guess it was Tampa. And, you know, as quiet a game as Connor Hellebuck has always played, he's been always so efficient in his movements, left to right in particular. Uh, his ability and his the way he covers the goal, whether he's on his knees or otherwise has always been impressive to me, but he's even quieter in my estimation this year. It's like he decides he, he he runs the, he runs the coordinates and goes, if I just stay in this position, the chance of the puck getting in the net from where the guy with the puck has it on his stick are less than zero. He seems to be very, very, Still, and and even more efficient with yeah. his movements this year. Yeah, and I and I think that goes to body position. I think that that goes to knowing where the puck is going to be coming from. So angles are important. Uh, you know, I, I we also shouldn't discount with his equipment how big he is, um, and he understands that better than anybody. It it, it truly is a, a fascinating uh, study of the position. And and the other part of this is, and you see this on so many different levels with this hockey club, and I think you saw it with Connor Hellebuck after the game. It's amazing what you can do when you're happy. Happy's a good place to be when you're playing the game of hockey. Um, His commitment to this city, his commitment to the organization with this new contract, I think has put a lot of angst to rest. Um, when he skated out for the three stars riding his goalie <laughs> stick, yep. man, oh man, that was a great message. Uh, that's that's in, 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 in encapsulates, I think, a lot of what the team success is all about. Um, you guys both know how, how emotional this game of hockey is. Um, and if you believe in yourself and you're having fun, you can take it to the next level. You know, the fact now, I think it's 33 games with three goals or less for this hockey club is indicative of how much fun it can be and how happy everybody can be. And the momentum and the environment that these people are playing in right now is absolutely amazing. And Claude Noel, when he was head coach of this team, he's talking about no joy in Joyville. There's a lot of joy, not just because of the way they're playing, but how they're playing. But you mentioned just maybe having some fun. Gabriel Velarde is brought a level of levitivity to this game. He seems to have a smile on his face at the appropriate times. Nikolai Ehlers, I don't know if I've ever seen him smile on the ice so much. There seems to be a different air around this team, John. I I couldn't agree with you more. I think what has happened um, uh, organizationally has put everybody in in the right position. Um, You you know, you, you even see it in a guy like Kyle Connor coming back yesterday in his his uh, his post morning skate interview. 
Um, there was a time, I think, that, you know, Kyle, who's a, a pretty low-key guy, um, but you could see the smile on his face at that moment coming back after the 16 games. Uh, and it's just that they have created such a tremendous workplace environment uh, that you can't help but feel good for them. They can't help feel good for themselves. Uh, and it's reflected in the way they play the game. It's, it, it, it is a complete team game that the Winnipeg Jets are playing. We had a similar standing last year, certainly not first in the overall standings, but a similar record for this team last year. A big word for a lot of Jets fans, John, is is trusting this team. Do we trust that this team is different than last year? And and I think if they're miles apart. Where are you on that? Well, I mean, every night they prove that they're miles apart. Uh, and, and, and the issue is, um, I, th- I think there's still a faction of people waiting for the wheels to fall off. Sure. And and you know what? Those those lug nuts are pretty tight. Um, and and they have they have done a, a they they have to do a bit more to prove it. Unfortunately, it's we're still only basically halfway through the season. Um, this team has not faced much adversity yet. Uh, certainly there's been an injury or two. The, the Connor 16 games is a bit of adversity, but the depth compensated for that. Mark Scheifele's absence um, is a bit of adversity, again, but the depth has compensated for that. So I, I think we're just waiting for this team to face adversity at some point uh, and see how they manage through that. Um, but you know what? Maybe this is one of those teams that is, has you know got everything, got their whole act together, and they won't have to face adversity at any point during the regular season. Hockey insider John Shannon, many thanks. Pleasure as always, sir. Cheers. It is Mackling and McGarry. We are working to find out if there were any kids on that school bus involved in that crash with a semi in Headingley. Reporter Sam Brownell is on his way out there to see what is going on. So we'll get that information to you as soon as we can. We're also hoping uh, to speak with the RCMP this morning at some point. But right now, I want to talk about the rights of both tenants and property managers. Managers, Because as we've been telling you in Global News... One person is dead. Two people are injured after an early morning fire yesterday at a triplex at 381 College Avenue. Tenant in the building says she called Winnipeg police twice the night the fire broke out concerning a domestic incident going on in the the unit above her early in the evening. Police attended at that first point, but they left after a while. The tenant, Tamara Bard, says the incident resumed later in the night. Now, Bard is physically okay. She got out from the fire, but uh, one of her cats is dead. Three are missing. She got her dog out as well. She's now staying with a friend, but she has no insurance and also says she's had issues at the home. She's filed complaints about the neighbors upstairs. Global News has reached out to the property owner, Ember Realty, on that. Also, she says she wasn't connected to any social services after the fire. No uh, accommodations for warmth, etc. But the city responded to Global saying there was a bus and social services on site. So this opens up a whole can of worms, a bunch of different discussions here with regard to the rights of property owners, the rights of tenants. Avram Chirac is with the Professional Property Managers Association and joins us now. Avram, good morning, friend. Good morning. So why don't we start with this idea of uh, tenants insurance. Do property managers, as a rule, encourage tenants to get 
insurance, renter's insurance, and is it and can it be mandatory? On a residential uh, tenancy, it cannot be mandatory, but uh, most property managers highly recommend it. And even the residential tenancies branch has brochures highly recommending tenants get insurance. And it, it, like we had one listener weigh in uh, saying that, you know, I'm, uh, I'm on a low fixed income and it's, so it's just not a priority, you know, when the rent and the hydro and food are, are already more than what you can afford. So for, for a lot of people, they're, they're in a, in a rock and a hard place. Completely understood. Uh, at one point, a few years back, actually, when the Winnipeg firefighters came out advocating making it mandatory, we also had uh, the Insurance Association put together a package that they recommended to government that was not overly expensive for, for a minimum amount of insurance, something that would be reasonable for uh, a renter. Yeah, something that would uh, get you some clothes on your back and maybe a place to stay for a little bit until you get your permanent situation sorted out, the very minimum, right, Avram? Exactly. I mean, renter's insurance can be as low as a couple hundred dollars a year for really good insurance. Right. But but this basic package probably would have cost a fraction of that. But as you said, given enough to, to survive for a month or so until you found a new place to live. So let's talk about it sounds as though this this multi-family, multi-unit dwelling wasn't necessarily the quiet, quietest place on the planet. Uh, we don't need to talk specifically about this situation, but in a general sense, if I live in a triplex, if I live in a larger apartment building, uh, what sort of rights do I have to live in peace and quiet? Uh, to go directly to the Residential Tenancies Act, the Section 73 and 74 talk about a right to be free of disturbance and free of impairment of safety. Um, so, so a resident manager, property manager, owner, whoever, is responsible to ensure their tenants as much as possible are not being unduly disturbed or their safety impaired. Uh, the problem becomes proof. It often becomes a he said, she said, especially in a smaller unit like a duplex or triplex. Uh, maybe the Hatfields and the McCoys just don't like each other. Uh, in a larger complex, like my company has only apartment buildings, uh, there you might have three or four tenants all saying the same thing. Then it's not just the Hatfields and the McCoys, it's a bunch of impartial third-party witnesses. So how do property managers then deal with situations when a tenant files a complaint about someone else living in the building? Uh, well, here's the piece of advice for renters. Pull out your cell phone and make recordings. Um, if you have evidence that's impartial and third party, it makes it much easier. Uh, we, in our company, we have a resident manager on site, so we ask the tenant to call our resident manager who can observe or listen, and at least then we have some corroboration of whether it's actually a problem or not, because sometimes uh, the tenant who says they're being disturbed is being disturbed simply by a flushing toilet, which happens. Sometimes it's definitely something that should not be happening. So then what happens? Uh, how, how do we get to a point where, say, a property management company decides that this person has to go? Are there challenges in, in getting them to leave? Significant challenges. We've had cases where we go to the residential tenancies branch and they don't side with us because they say we don't have enough evidence. Uh, we've had more than one case where we've actually subpoenaed the police to attend at an appeal hearing. And then once the police actually attend uh, and say, yeah, we saw it too, it, it becomes much easier to get rid of the tenant. It's a lot of work, though, um, and it's not necessarily airtight. You know, if they don't pay the rent, 
and you go to a hearing, the officer says, show me a receipt. The tenant says, I don't have one. They say, too bad, you're out. But if I say it's very noisy, uh, the tenant can just say, I don't think it's noisy. And then it's really whether or not the hearing officer believes you, given the evidence available. Avram Chirac with the Professional Property Managers Association joining us live on 680 CJOB. Avram, thank you for your insight. We appreciate the time. No problem. Have a great day. It is Mackling and McGarry. We are going to speak to the federal energy minister in a moment, but on the power grid situation. But before that, Greg, we just want to learn a bit more about one of the many crashes out there this morning. CJOB reporter, Global News reporter Sam Brunel is west of the city of Winnipeg, just outside the Perimeter Highway in Headingley. And Sam, you went that way because we received a report of a crash between a semi-tractor trailer and a school bus, Sergeant Paul Manegg, allaying most of our fears. What are you seeing presently? Well, things are still getting cleaned up. Uh, there are at least half a dozen, if not more, emergency vehicles on scene here. There's two very large tow trucks getting ready to what looks like try to clear these vehicles out of the way. But traffic going westbound on the perimeter highway is still at a near standstill it's backed up as far as i can see going westbound and i'm right at the scene here eastbound however traffic is still moving and then quite a few of the westbound vehicles have gone to a nearby service road but it ends right at the scene so that is also now quite backed up as well and and when we spoke to the rcmp at a35 he said uh, no injuries but uh, has that situation evolved at all with the the remaining emergency vehicles uh, nothing that I can see here. There actually aren't any um, ambulances on scene. It's all at this point just fire trucks and police cars. Pardon me. But I can still see the bus here and the uh, tractor trailer are are still touching and still in in that same position they were in when the the accident happened. But it doesn't appear as any uh, that any of the affected people are still on scene. It's just emergency crews at this point. All right, Global Sam Brunel, thank you very much for the update, and uh, we'll keep you posted as to when that situation clears up uh, traffic-wise. And reminder, this is your last chance. Greg, what's the question we're asking this morning for well, a chance to win those Mid-Canada RV and boat sale tickets? It's pretty simple. Which band would you like to be in, and what role would you like to play? Smashing Pumpkins, they need a new guitarist. 10,000 people thus far have said, hey, consider me. Which band would you be in and which role would you play? 204-780-6868. I'm just going to sell merchandise for Tuke because uh, I have no musicality whatsoever. <laughs> but continuing the discussion on the power grid in our country, because at 7.05 we spoke with EY Canada, power and utilities leader, about the challenges our power grid is facing, particularly as we head towards moving to electric vehicles. Uh, we're joined by the Federal Minister of Energy and Natural Resources, Jonathan Wilkinson, who is in Winnipeg today for an announcement this afternoon noon and we will preview that in a couple of moments uh but first we wanted to start with the 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 power grid situation in alberta over the weekend after the extreme cold Uh, from the government's position how concerning is this well certainly um 
it's concerning in the sense that uh, everybody in this country wants to ensure that there is reliable, affordable power in every province and territory. As you know, the electricity grids are really the responsibility of the provinces and territories. But but certainly as we plan forward, we want to ensure reliability, and that's something that, that obviously the federal government is certainly uh, interested in working with every province and territory on. What's your response to Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moe's comments? You know, he took a shot at your government saying the power they would provide to Alberta would be coming from natural gas and coal-fired plants. The ones he says the Trudeau government is saying to shut down, which he says we won't. Well, look, I, I grew up in Saskatchewan. I used to work for a former premier of Saskatchewan, so I'm pretty familiar with Saskatchewan. I, I would just say, you know, with all due respect to, to Premier, premier Mo, he, he needs to deal in the facts. Um, the challenges that Alberta had had to do with a whole range of different things, including the structure of their electricity system, but also including that a couple of their natural gas plants were offline. Um, we need to ensure that we're working towards a reliable and affordable system, but we also need to have a system that's non-emitting. I mean, the science of climate change is the science of climate change, and Premier Mo can't have it both ways, where he says he believes and is committed to net zero by 2050, but he's going to run coal plants, coal-fired power plants forever. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. It's logically incoherent. So um, at the end of the day, we are very happy and we are engaged with the government of Alberta and certainly with governments across the country and working towards a reliable, affordable and an non-emitting grid. And that is certainly achievable. It's not just Canada. It's every country, every major industrialized country around the world is doing that. So, you know, Premier Mo should, should pay attention. Okay, so then uh, another thing we wanted to ask you about is as the country looks to move to electric vehicles in the coming years and coming decades, uh, if we're having power grid issues just after an extreme weather event, and I know that's oversimplifying things, but will our power grid be able to handle this influx of electric vehicles? It's a great question. I mean, uh, the, the the challenge for the grid is is not just you know stability and affordability right now, but it's also um, significant enhancements in the amount of power that, that are going to be required, not just for electric vehicles, but as we electrify home heating and many industrial processes. The estimates are that we're going to need to double the amount of power that we generate uh, across this country um, over the course of the next 30 years. So we need a plan. And that's what the federal government has been looking to work on with provinces and territories. We put money on the table through, uh, through some of the investment tax credits. Previously, we set up a grid council that is actually helping to advise on uh, exactly these issues. But, uh, but you need a plan. It is certainly doable, but it, it requires that we sit down and do the work uh, and move towards a grid that's actually going to provide exactly what we need in a carbon-constrained world. And finally, before we let you run, you are in Winnipeg for an announcement this afternoon. I know you can't let the cat out of the bag yet, but what can you tell us now? Well, it's, a, it's an announcement relating to biofuels, which obviously is uh, important for the agricultural sector in uh, Manitoba, but it's also an announcement that over the long term we look uh, at as something that can create significant jobs and economic opportunity um, in the manufacturing of, uh, of these biofuels. Um, so I think it's a, it's a very good, uh, good news story. It's something on which we are partnering with the new government of Manitoba and I look forward to, uh, to making the announcement with, uh, with the new Premier this afternoon. Uh, Federal Minister of Energy and Natural Resources, Jonathan Wilkinson, joining us in the start. Once again, the announcement coming this afternoon at 2 o'clock. It is Mackling and McGarry, inspired by the 10,000-plus who have applied to be the new guitarist for Smashing Pumpkins. We're asking you if you could join a musical act... Which one would it be, and in what capacity? 
the, for the initial question was what instrument would you play or, or would you want to be the singer? Well, we've had people take it in all kinds of directions like this listener who shall remain anonymous because they say they could potentially be identified. I don't know which musical act I would join, says this listener, but I think I'd best fit in as security. Why? Why? Why, Brett? One, I am observant. Mm-hmm. Two, I am inconspicuous. Three, I have safely and successfully tackled an adult reindeer with my bare hands. Okay, you're hired. <laughs> but if we don't know who you are, who do we send the paychecks to? <laughs> fair, fair. Uh, I know you're a Springsteen fan. Runner-up Pete is also a Springsteen fan. Don't know if Bruce needs a new saxophonist, but I played the recorder in grade school. If you watch any of their videos, everyone seems to be having a great time and lots of fun. Pete, uh, I concur with you, but I don't think that recorder experience is going to get you the saxophone gig. (laughs) Saxophone. Daryl says, the dream, who doesn't love the Eagles? To fill in for Glenn Fry would be my ultimate music experience. I can sing. I can play guitar. My keyboard skills are iffy. But how cool to rock out with them. Take it easy. Peaceful, easy feeling. Already gone. Tequila sunrise. Lion eyes. New kid in town. Heartache tonight. And how long? Daryl, I hate to tell you this, but I don't love the Eagles. I don't like the Eagles. I hate the Eagles. And I'm sorry. (laughs) But, just answering the question, Uh however... Uh, Daryl, I love the passion on this, and it sounds like you're ready to join the band. I'll hire you, Daryl. But our winner today, Greg, for the Mid-Canada RV and Boat Sale tickets is Alicia G. Okay, Alicia saying, I have two choices for my fantasy band, since we're talking fantasy. I would like to be part of Elvis Presley's band that he used to have. And I would just stand on stage and change out his scarves, like... (laughs) He used to do it. And my other band would be, you know, he used to put them around his neck and then throw them out in the crowd. Uh, the other would be part of the Prince of Prince's band. And I would just stand there and I don't know tandem his guitars when he changed his guitars or bottled water or something, not looking to win any tickets. Oh, I just did. thought those would be fantastic bands to be a part of. What a great fan to see that would be. Thanks. Have a good morning. I completely missed that last part. I I'm looking to win to, the tickets. I didn't need to read it out loud. I just sort of Ron Burgundy'd it, Brett. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's totally fine. <laughs> it's been a, it's been a scrambly morning, and we missed <laughs> clearly missed the details on the fun stuff. But well, Alicia, you get the tickets if you want them, and uh, that also they would you could also be like if if uh, somebody were to do a James Brown cover act. You could maybe Alicia could also be the person who drapes him at the whenever he gets down on his knee. Well, that would be outstanding. <laughs> on the other side of news and sports, we're going to tell you about a musician that you've heard of, but you might not realize the impact of her music over six, seven decades. So right now we want to discuss how your terrific text messages about which band you would like to be a part of and in what capacity illustrate the role music, the huge role that music plays in our lives. And that conversation leads us to our next one. One of the most prolific songwriters and performers of our time may be less well-known than she ought to be. And currently Manitoba Royal Manitoba Theatre Centre is currently running Beautiful. The Carol King Musical. You're listening to one of Carol King's most well-known songs at the moment, but 
The story is fascinating, and her impact on popular music may come as a surprise to many. To learn more, we welcome to the start broadcaster, consultant, music writer, professional music geek. That's a self-professed, by the way, and the curator of a journal of musical things, Manitoba's own Alan Cross. Alan, good morning, and uh, happy New Year to you. First time we're speaking no, no, to you no, in twenty twenty four. We we can't do that. The Larry David rule applies. We can't say Happy uh, New Year after February or January the third. January third. I knew that was Larry's rule. I didn't realize we were listen, dealing with a stickler in uh, Alan Cross. But li- <laughs> listen, Alan. Simply put, um, I could not believe the uh, impact Carol King has had on popular music. Like I love learning more about the history of music and some of the did you know revelations, which come of those investigations, but Carol King's impact came as a little bit of a surprise to me when I started digging into her impact uh, over the weekend. Yeah, you, you have to, um, because 50 years have passed more than 50 years have passed since the release of, uh, her tapestry album, which is one of the greatest records of all time. And uh, she may have slipped a little bit too much into the background, which is unfortunate because she had such an incredible career, first as a songwriter with her one-time husband, Jerry Goffin. They wrote a ton of material that all became hit songs from their office in the Brill Building in New York City through the 1960s. And then she was encouraged to try singing and performing her the material that she wrote on her own. And she was really, really reticent. She didn't want to do it because she didn't think she was very good. But starting with a few low-key gigs in, in Greenwich Village in, uh, in, in New York City, uh, she found her footing and uh, started releasing material on her own. And a Tapestry from 1971 it, you know, remains one of the great records of all time. And with this, this musical, I, I guess you call, yeah, it is a musical, but it's, it's more like a it's more like a biography told through her songs. You realize exactly how many familiar, eternal, everlasting songs this woman was a part of. Alan, is there a comparison here? Like, we're wondering where does King rank on the list of songwriters and performers who don't necessarily get their due? Uh, I would put her very near the top. I mean, all you have to do is look at everything that, that she wrote. Um, and, you know, let me, what I'm going to do here is I'm going to call up a song, a list of songs written by her. And songs written by Carol King. Okay. Um, it's incredible. She's, you know, uh, you've got a friend. Um, she wrote a bunch of songs for uh, other pop stars. Oh, God, look at them all. I can't even begin to go. You know, he, she wrote uh, songs for, for Benny King. She wrote songs for Celine Dion. She wrote songs for the Monkey. She wrote songs for the Drifters. She wrote The Locomotion for Little Eva, which was a huge hit in the middle 1960s. She wrote You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman, which became a giant hit for um, uh, Aretha Franklin. Uh, it, you know, it just go, it goes on and on and on. And what you really need to do is, is see this production because you see her evolve from this young girl into this accomplished songwriter who eventually gets you know, inducted into, I think she's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. She certainly got a Kennedy Center honors. Uh, 
it, it's a great story. I saw the production in the West End of London a number of years ago. And frankly, I wasn't really interested in going, but I was the guest of somebody. And they said, come on, we'll go. We'll have a glass of wine. We'll watch this. And then we'll go out for dinner afterwards. I was absolutely captivated by the whole thing. It, uh, if you get a chance to see it, do it. In fact, Carol King was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2021. Taylor Swift did the honors, did the did the welcoming speech, and and honored Carol King. And you know, you mentioned this this play, quote unquote. And I'm on the Royal MTC website right now, and they talk about in the in the write up, they talk about her mother's insistence that girls don't write music. Talk, you mentioned the Brill Building, and it's fascinating to me because the conversation I had on Saturday about this ultimately led to this offshoot conversation about the Brill Building and what happened there. For those that don't know, talk about what happened uh, inside that building in New York City. Sure. The Brill Building was on Broadway, and it was basically a, a bunch of offices where music publishers employed songwriters to come up with songs that they could sell to performers. This was the old way of doing music. It goes all the way back to the 1890s in Tin Pan Alley when you had a, a distinction between two different types of people in the music industry. You had the people who wrote the songs, and then you had the people who performed the songs. It was very rare for a very, very long time that performers wrote their own material. So in the Brill Building, there were a number of publishers, music publishers, who employed people in these small little offices, usually with a, a piano and maybe a window for ventilation, where they would come in like you know any other office worker and try to hammer out songs that the publishers could provide to clients. They would either pitch established clients with these songs or somebody would come to the Brill Building and say, hey, I've got this up-and-coming pop star. Could, is there anything that you have that, would, that, they could, that they could perform? And Carol King and Jerry Goffin were just one of the many people working in these tiny rooms. And they came up with you know, tons and tons of hits. And Neil Sedaka, for example, was another person who worked in the Brill Building. And it, it was uh, probably the last gasp of the old Tin Pan Alley way of writing songs. At the time Carol King was coming up, we had a number of artists, Bob Dylan, the Rolling Stones, the Beatles. These were performers who also wrote their own material. So the idea of the professional songwriter and the professional singer uh, being two separate things began to break down. But uh, not before Carol King uh, provided all these hit songs for all these artists, and then in 1971, when this whole thing was really collapsing, she went out on her own and started making her own records. Our, our guest is Alan Cross. He is the curator of a Journal of Musical Things. That website is a ajournalofmusicalthings.com. And I, I just have a question about um, knowing music history and how it can maybe uh, impact your appreciation for things, or even if it's just those, like, those wow, I didn't know that moments because I actually had one happen to me yesterday when I was out for a walk, and uh, I just let's put on YouTube music and I'll, I'll I'll pick one song and then I'll just listen to whatever it gives me next, and it landed on a song I'd never heard, but not at least not in its original form. The song is called "Small Town Boy" by an act called Bronsky Beat, and 
I don't know if you know that name at all, but I have known it over the years in multiple forms, and I see it's been sampled now 50 times in various songs, including a lot of dance songs and I think some hip-hop songs. But that just having that holy smokes, like that 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 aha moment where I finally, where I, I've, I've known this tune for a decade now in various forms, but to hear the original made me go, wow, that's cool. So... Knowing the mu- the history of certain things, like are you would you consider yourself an advocate to get people to look into what they're listening to rather than just consuming it and disposing of it? Yeah, absolutely. That's the problem with streaming. Streaming is is science fiction good. I mean, you can get any one of 120 million songs at the at, with a poke, a couple of pokes on your phone. But uh, there's no context. You rarely see artwork. You rarely see lyrics. You rarely get to look at any sort of liner notes. So you, you don't know where this song came from, who wrote it, who performed on it, what the motivation was for writing and recording the song. So if you go see something like this Carol King production, you understand that some songs like Up on the Roof by the Drifters, I'm Into Something Good by Herman's Hermits, One Fine Day by the Chiffons, Pleasant Valley Sunday by the Monkees, um, You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman from Aretha Franklin, uh, I can go on and on and on. These are all Carol King songs. They were all written at 1650 Broadway in the Brill Building with her and her partner uh, Jerry Goffin. Now they again they divorced, and uh, she later moved to California and she began writing her own material and you know uh, hanging out with people like James Taylor and Joni Mitchell and collaborating. And uh, you know the, the deeper you get into Carol King's story the more you realize how essential she is to the fabric of popular music over the last 60 years. We're going to have to leave it there as is always the case with you, Alan. We don't have nearly enough time. I want to thank you so much for uh, bringing this uh, to us and, and uh, sharing some time with us. Uh, wonderful uh, retrospective, a look at uh, the Carol King musical. Beautiful. It's playing now at Royal MTC. Get out and see it. Thanks very much, Alan. You're very welcome. January, uh, straight through to February 3rd at Royal MTC, if you want to get out and see what is, by all accounts, a, a terrific performance. And if you want access to more of Alan Cross's brilliance, he is the host of the Ongoing History of New Music podcast. You can find that at a journal of musicalthings.com.